our message today comes from Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your mercies are new, that we get a fresh start each and every day. Lord, I just pray that as Tony comes up um, to share with us what he has gained from these um, verses, that you would just allow our hearts and our minds to be open, that you would use him to speak through us to gain something that we need to know. Lord, we thank you and just um, recognize that we wouldn't be here without your son and all he has done um, for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, actually closing a series this weekend, like Steve mentioned just a moment ago, that we've been calling We. And so if you are new to Grace or you're just tuning into Grace for the first time, so glad you're here. Uh, but you are catching us at the very, very end of a conversation. And next week, like Steve said, we're going to be starting a brand new conversation. Definitely want to encourage you to come back for that. Or if you happen to know someone that you think might benefit from that conversation, uh, you can feel free to invite them. It's called Dangerous Politics. And so that should be a lot of fun uh, for you guys to to watch me squirm next week, uh, but I think it's going to be a good time, and I think it's an important conversation in the midst of uh, what all of us are seeing right now and, and some of the political tensions that we're facing as a society. Just really excited about having a chance to say, how do those who follow Jesus navigate through times like this? And so that's really what we're going to be aiming at next week. Super pumped about that. But like I said, we are finishing this series that we've been calling We. If you are just tuning in, really what we're doing in this series is we're actually using this as an opportunity to talk through some of our deeply held values that we have here at Grace Church. So if you're a person who's been coming around the Medina East Campus for a while, you probably know that we actually have eight values that we share as a church. These are values that we would hope that you're familiar with if you're part of our church. We talk about them often. We have them hung around the hallways. You actually see them hung in the cafe out here and those type of things. And uh, these values, uh, we said we kind of hope that all of us would be really familiar with. Now, of course, if you're someone who's newer to grace or maybe someone invited you for the first time, maybe this is all new to you. And if that's you, I'm actually really excited you're here. I'm excited that you're tuning in because the truth is that my hope is that you would understand these values so that maybe you could better understand our church and you could better understand maybe why we make some of the decisions that we make, why we emphasize some of the things that we emphasize, why we do certain things and why we don't do other things. That might actually help you make sense a little bit of Grace Church. But what we've been saying in the series, we've been saying that these values, even though we call these the eight Grace Church values, they actually are not original with us. So these values, it's not like we sat down and said, what do we think we should value as a church? These are actually all fresh articulations of deeply held biblical convictions. Okay, so what I mean by that is that all these values actually come right from the scripture. And so it's our way of trying to freshly articulate those so that we can live in a way that's centered around 
some of these biblical convictions. So, so because of that, our hope is that these values wouldn't simply define us as a church. Our hope is that it actually would define the life of every, every person who follows Jesus. And I know, by the way, that everyone that's watching or everyone that's here today maybe doesn't follow Christ. Maybe some of you are still investigating Christianity. And if that's the case, man, we say this every week and we just mean it. We count it an absolute privilege that you would let us be part of your investigation. But what we would say about these values is that we actually, we actually would hope that it wouldn't just define our church, but it would define the life of every follower of Christ. And so periodically what we'll do is we'll actually go through and we'll talk through different values in different seasons. We'll talk through ones that are maybe a little more specific to the season we find ourselves in as a way of kind of rearticulating uh, kind of what we, what, we, what we believe is strong and a valuable thing in our church. And so today, the value that we're gonna look at, I think is extremely relevant, extremely relevant, and it is this one uh, right here. It is we share life together, okay? So in the time that we have here together for the rest of this service, my hope is that we can process and think through this value, we share life together. And as it is with all of our values, uh, we actually have a descriptor sentence that goes along with it. And so here's what we'd say. We'd say, we share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships, right? We are resolved to figure out how to love God, how to love each other, and how to live on mission together. And, and again, like I said, I think that this value is very timely. Uh, my guess is that even as I read it, you can probably begin to feel the relevancy of something like this. Like when you think about uh, the past several months and the isolation that many of us have felt because of this pandemic, how relevant is this idea that we share life together? Uh, when we say things like we are resolved to figure out how to love God and love each other and live on mission, man, when you think about uh, just some of the tensions that we're trying to navigate right now, uh, the racial tensions that we see in our society, the political tensions, if you guys have been watching the debates and staying kind of tuned in to different news networks and all that kind of stuff, now, I think, I think that this becomes a very, very timely value for us to think about, that, uh, that we want to be a group of people who say that we want to share life together, and we are going to be resolved in figuring out how to do that, how to love God, how to love each other, and how to live on mission together. Now, like I said earlier, man, these visions, they, uh, these, these, uh, these, these different values that we have, they stem from a, a deeply held biblical conviction that we have. And so when we talk about this idea of sharing life together, I honestly could take you to dozens of passages of the scripture. This is all over the place, the importance of this. But for the sake of our conversation, I actually just want to take you to one place, and that is all the way back in Genesis chapter one. So Crystal just read a moment ago from this passage. If you don't have your Bibles open, I would encourage you to do that. So grab your Bible, open up your Bible app. And if you would get with me to Genesis chapter one, this is where we're going to go. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the beginning of your Bibles, the first chapter of the first book. We're going to go actually all the way back to the beginning of the human story here in Genesis chapter one. We talk about the importance of sharing life together. Now, let me just say as you're, as you're flipping, there, flipping there, as you're finding Genesis chapter one, as I was uh, preparing for today's talk and as I was uh, kind of thinking about this passage in Genesis chapter one, this idea that we share life together, it's actually reminded of uh, a, a situation uh, that I was in that I vividly remember right after I graduated from college. So uh, some of you, if you, if you know me, uh, I, I went to school in Chicago. And then after I graduated from college, I was kind of in this intermediate period of time where I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with my future. And so I had a, another friend of mine who also graduated from college. And the two of us decided that we were going to stay downtown. We were going to get an apartment. We were going to live in the city. 
And we were gonna get temporary jobs until we kind of figured out what we were gonna do with our future. And so we had a period of time where we were kind of in transition. Now, if you've, ever been, uh, if you've ever been in that place in life, some of you might even be in that place in life right now where you're, you're graduated or you're done with, with one part and now you're kind of transitioning into adulthood, uh, you know that that can be a really interesting time because you kind of are really thrown into adulting. So I remember this. I remember we went to this, we, we moved into this apartment and it was the first time that it was like full force, I was totally responsible for myself. I mean, I lived on campus and there was a lot of responsibility I had to take, but now it was like, it was just all on me. So I had to cook for myself, I had to clean, do all my laundry, I had to make my own food, I had to get myself out of bed and on the L train in time to get to my job and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, so um, one of the things I thought was funny about this, this period of time was that was the case for my roommate as well. So both of us were in this season. And as you can imagine, um, our diet was probably exactly what you would expect from two single dudes who really never cooked for themselves. And so whenever we went shopping, pretty much our shopping list was basically anything that was frozen that could be microwaved, right? Or anything that had no expiration date. And so all we ate was burritos and taquitos and anything that ended in itos and pizza, and pizzitos. I don't even know what that is, but it probably was a thing. And ramen noodles, and uh, macaroni and cheese. Basically, all we ate for probably months was carbs and sodium. And that was, that was it. And I remember, we, never, we didn't buy any fruits. We didn't buy any veggies. It was all too expensive. We didn't buy any of that kind of stuff. We bought the cheapest food. We didn't, we didn't buy any healthy protein. And basically, we just ate this. And, and I remember... After a couple of months, my, my roommate and I were both like, man, you know what? We don't feel too good. Like, we just don't feel great. Like, I remember we were just like, man, I feel groggy. I feel tired. I feel like mental fog all the time. And I, I remember this one time, and I so specifically remember this. My roommate came, came home, and he had a gallon of orange juice. And it was this cheap orange juice he bought from the store. And he was like, hey, you want some orange juice? And I was like, sure. And so we both had a glass of orange juice, and I remember that when we drank that orange juice, it was, it was the best tasting thing I ever tasted in my life. And I remember I was like, oh, dear Lord, this is so good. And my roommate was like, oh, my gosh. And we were like, why is that so good? And we're like, I don't know. And I kid you not, in one sitting, the two of us drank that entire gallon of orange juice. And then I remember my roommate said this. I still remember this. My roommate said, it occurred to him. He goes, you know what, man? I said, what? And he goes, I don't think we've had vitamin C for like a couple months. And I was like, dude, you're right. It's like, I think we have scurvy. And, and I was like, I don't think we've had any vitamins, any healthy anything for a really long time. And so all of a sudden we started to drink that. We felt better and we were like, okay. So we went, then we went to the store. We started buying fruits and vegetables and those kind of things and all that. Now, why do I tell you that? The reason I tell you that is to make this point. I discovered something that day that my guess is many of you have discovered in your lives as well at some point or another. And that's this, that sometimes we don't realize how important something is until it's missing. Did you ever notice that? Sometimes you don't realize how important something is until you're lacking it. And when it's, when it's gone and when it's not present in your life and then when it comes back or when, you, when it gets reintegrated into your life, all of a sudden you're like, man, I needed that. I didn't even know how much I needed that until it was missing, until it was gone. Now, 
Uh, why do I tell you that? What does that have to do with this value we share life together? Well, what I, want to, what I hope is, what I want to show you today, is it has everything to do with this value. It has everything to do with this value. In fact, um, my hope today, my hope today is to show you how important this truly is, this value truly is. You might even notice that um, in the value, notice the way we say it. We say it this way. We say, we cannot live without honest relationships. We, we can't do it. Now, that might sound like an exaggeration to you, but what we're trying to actually say there is what we're, we're trying to articulate this is that when we're talking about community, and specifically for those of us who follow Jesus, when we talk about biblical community, we talk about the idea of sharing life together, this is not just an optional thing for us. This, this is not just some luxury that we have. Listen, this is a necessity. It's needed. You need this. I need this. We need to share life together. In fact, my hope is today, I actually just want to bring you a very, very simple message, very simple message, right out of Genesis chapter 1. And here's the simple message I hope to talk through today is this. I want to show you that, number one, you and I, we are created by God, and we are created in his image, okay? Number two, I want to show us that God exists in community. And then number three, therefore, we are incomplete apart from community. Okay, so super, super simple, right? Super simple, but this is the message that I want to take us through today, is, hey, you and I, we are created by God, and we are made in his image. And part of what it means to be made in God's image is that God exists in community. And because of that, the bottom line is we are incomplete apart from community, right? Super simple, but I think this is vital and important and timely and essential for us to understand in order to be the people that God has created us to be. So let's talk through these three things. All right, first off, let's start at the top. We're created by God and we are created in his image. You know, in Genesis 1, uh, the passage that Crystal just read, if, you ever read, if you've ever read through Genesis 1, it's a very important chapter in the Bible because it is such an establishing chapter in the Bible. It tells us that, uh, that God is the creator. And it reveals to us uh, the, what the heart of creation is, and it reveals to us where we came from. It's the beginning of the human story. And what's interesting is that in Genesis chapter one, one of the things it does is it firmly establishes that God is the creator of all things. And so the Bible is gonna tell us in Genesis chapter one, God created the heavens and the earth. It's gonna tell us that God created the sun and the moon and the stars, that God created the fish and the birds, the plants and the animals. Everything in creation is created by God. And what's fascinating is that when you get to the end of Genesis one, the crown jewel of his creation, as we're gonna see, comes when he creates humanity. And I want you to notice, if you look at what it says, beginning in verse 26, you're going to see that there is something that there is a unique feature that distinguishes humankind from everything else in God's creation. And what is it? Well, we'll notice it says, then God said, this is the account of God making mankind. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, at first glance, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but four times in this passage, the Bible tells us something about mankind that is distinctly different than everything else in all creation. And of course, it's this idea of being made in God's image. Humankind is made in the likeness or is made in the image of God. Now, of course, the, the question that that forces us to ask is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? And man, let me just tell you, uh, it means a whole lot. It means a ton. 
In fact, we could actually spend probably an entire year in a sermon series talking about what does it mean to be made in the image of God. There are so many books, there are so many theological conversations about the importance and significance of being made in the image of God. We could talk about, for example, about what this says about human value and what this says about human dignity. We could talk about what does this mean about the way that we should love each other and treat each other. We could talk about what does this mean about the role of humans on this planet and the way that not only we interact with each other, but we interact with creation itself. You could talk about so many things of what it means to be made in the image of God. By the way, shameless plug, if you're interested in digging deeper into the image of God, I would encourage you to check out the equipping division. Uh, In the equipping division, we actually spend a lot of time kind of processing, thinking through what does this mean to be made in the image of God. But for all that could be said about this, for today's talk, like I said, it's a simple talk. I just want to show you one aspect of what it means to be made in the image of God. And quite honestly, it's one that's often missed, but it's so unbelievably obvious. It's actually right here in this passage. And what is it? Well, well, that brings me to the second point. And what I want to show you is this, is that part of what it means to be creating God's image is that God exists in community. And we see this right in this passage, right in this passage. You're like, well, what do you mean? Well, look again with me at Genesis chapter one. Some of you maybe noticed this and maybe this perplexed you a little bit. But notice that it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish, so on and so forth. This is really fascinating. Do you notice that when God creates mankind, that he refers to himself in the plural? He says about himself, let us make mankind in our image, right? That's what he says about himself in this, in, in this passage. Now, now, of course, some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, you know what? That is kind of puzzling because I was always told that there's one God, right? That's kind of what I was always told. So what's this whole idea of God saying, let us make man in our image? And of course, what that's referring to, and some of you may already know this, many of you may already know this, it's referring to the Christian doctrine uh, that Christians hold firmly, and that is that of the Trinity, And the Trinity, of course, is that we believe that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that God exists as one, but he exists within community, within community itself. Now, of course, that is a a mind-numbing thing to think about. That is another, uh, the Trinity is another point of doctrine that we could spend an entire sermon series talking about. Uh, And once again, another shameless plug, we talk about it in the equipping division. And so if you wanna dig deeper into the Trinity, that might be a good spot for you to, to, to get into it. But without getting into all of the mechanics and details of how the Trinity works, Here's all I want you to notice. I think this is so fascinating. I was was reading this this past week, and this just blew me away. What's fascinating is, if you look at Genesis chapter one, in fact, if you have your Bible in front of you, even if you glance at it, what you'll notice is that as it refers to God creating things, it will call him he. So it will say, he created the fish. He created the birds. He created, you know, whatever, the stars or whatever it might say. But listen, it's only when and only when it gets to the creation of mankind that God refers and God begins to open up this idea of his plurality, of the pluralness of God. Now, why is that? What does that tell us? Well, listen, I think think that that actually tells us something about our created intended design, right? That we were created for community. In fact, it's interesting. Notice that it says, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness And then he says, male and female, he created 
them. He created them in the image of, of God. Now, this is so vital. And the reason it's vital is because it reveals to us that we were made in the image of, some, of, of someone who's not only a me, but is also an us. It's also an us. We are made in the image of a God who exists in community. And that, of course, leads me to the third thing, and that's this, is that we are incomplete, therefore, apart from community. We, we, we cannot be fully who God has created us to be apart from being connected to other human beings in meaningful relationships because, because we are created in the image of God. God exists in community. And so therefore, for us to be, to fully fulfill the image that we're created in, we need other people to do that. We need other people. It's very, very, very simple. But listen, I think, I think that this simple truth actually helps us make a lot of sense of what God says in the next chapter. I want you to notice, if you just look over in Genesis chapter two, just one chapter over, the Bible actually talks about creation in Genesis chapter one, and then in Genesis chapter two, it actually zooms in, and it talks about, more specifically, the creation of mankind. And so the Bible's gonna tell us that God creates the man first, he creates Adam, and then the Bible tells us that there's a period of time where he's by himself before he creates the woman. And what's interesting is that God says this in Genesis chapter two, verse 18. After God created the man, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So this is so interesting. God, after he creates the man, right, he forms him, and he looks and he declares this verdict. He says, it's not good for that guy to be by himself. It's not good. Now, this is noteworthy, and one of the reasons is because, I want you to think about this, this is in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, so this is before sin enters into the world. Sin doesn't even enter into the creation until Genesis chapter three. This is before rebellion. Rebellion happens in Genesis chapter three, right? This is before God creates like everything bad, you know, before everything bad happens in Genesis chapter three. This is before God creates cats. That was all Genesis chapter three and beyond. And so this is a pre-sin world, okay? And, and what's even more noteworthy is, if you guys might remember in Genesis chapter one, after God creates everything with each successive step of creation, he declares about his creation, he says, it is what? Tell me, it's good, it is good. And so over and over again, God creates and he says it's good. Now for the first time in a world where there's no sin, God looks and he says there's something that's not good. He says it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, here's the question I want you to think about with me for a minute. What does he mean by that? It's not good for man to be alone. In what sense is it not good for man to be alone? See, this is an important question because some people would interpret that and they would look and say, what God is saying is that it's not good for a man to be single. That it's not good for a person to be single. They would look and say that. There's some people who would look at this passage and they would say, this is all about the importance of marriage. And that in Genesis chapter two, we're gonna see the first marriage between the first humans. And so this is telling us that it is really important for a person to be married. And that if you're an unmarried person, that that's not good. Okay, so some people would tell you that. Now, let me just say about that real quick, that in one sense, there is some truth to that. Because in Genesis chapter two, this passage is indeed about marriage. And so uh, Genesis two, verse 18 to 24, more specifically in verse 24, is actually referred to as the first marriage between the first humans. So whenever the biblical authors, like even Jesus himself, whenever they talk about marriage, do you know what passage they refer to? 
Uh, They refer to this passage. They refer to Genesis chapter two, more specifically in verse 24. So is this this passage, is is it about marriage? Well, it includes marriage. But here's what I want you to see is it's about much more than marriage. And so, so is this passage telling us, is it telling us that it's not good if you are a single person, that you are incomplete if you're not a married person, that you're missing out on all that life has to offer you and you're missing out on being a fulfilled person unless you're in a romantic, meaningful relationship with another person in marriage? Is that what it's telling you? And let me just tell you, the answer to that question is a resounding no. That's not what this means. And I can tell you that I can tell you that with certainty. And the reason is because the Bible is going to tell us in other places, like for example in Ephesians chapter five and also in First Corinthians chapter seven, that being a Christian and living a single life is an entirely viable way to live. That you're not less human than other people who are married. That you're not you're not um, lacking something if you're not in a, in a married position. Listen, I, I know that because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who is the author and the founder of our faith, was a single person. Right? He was single. And so that's not what it's saying. It's not like God was like, that guy's by himself, man. It's not good for the man to be single. He just keeps eating burritos and taquitos and things that end in itos. That's not what's going on here. All right, That might be true, but that's not what's going on here. So what does it mean when he says it's not good for the man to be alone? Well, just plain and simple, what he's saying is it's not good for the man to not be with other people. He needs others. He can't be alone. Just think about it. This is so simple. Adam was made in the image of God, right? And God exists in community. And at this point, there's only one human. And so therefore, he desperately needs others to fulfill his created design. And that's what God is saying when he says it is not good for man to be alone. Now, let me just tell you that to misunderstand this truth or to deny this reality that we need other people to be who God has created us to be can actually lead us to some really unhealthy and to some dangerous places. It's amazing to me how much research has come out probably over the past maybe three or four decades about how um, isolation can really affect us mentally and physically, the effects that it has. Sociologists, psychologists, and health experts continue to release uh, more and more information about this. I'll just give you one example. Some of you guys may have heard of a guy named Vivek Murthy. Vivek Murthy actually wrote a book called Together. Uh, he was the previous Surgeon General. And, um, and basically in this book, it's a really fascinating book, but basically what he defends in this book is what he's been saying throughout his entire term as a Surgeon General. And basically, this is what his message is. What he says is this. He says that the most prevalent health issue in our country is not cancer, it's not smoking, and it's not heart disease or obesity, it is isolation. And he builds a case for that. And he says that the most prominent, prevalent health issue that we face in society is that we are growing more and more and more isolated. Now, by the way, he wrote this book a few years ago. And he was talking about how isolation is a serious issue uh, that exists within our, within, our, within our world, within our country. Uh, not only him, there's a bunch of stuff that's come out. Back in 2017, Uh, The New York Times actually published an article, which, of course, the New York Times in no way is trying to propagate a Christian worldview, Uh, but they 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 released this article. It was called Happiness is Other People. And in this article, Ruth Whitman, she's a journalist, here's what she said. I thought this was really interesting. She said, far from confirming our insistence that happiness comes from within, a wide body of research tells us almost the exact opposite. 
Academic happiness studies are full of anomalies and contradictions, often revealing more about the agendas and values of those conducting them than the realities of human emotion. Now, let me just explain what she said there real quick. So basically, she looked at all of the happiness studies that have been done recently about human happiness. And what she says is they're all biased. She says they all are pushing an agenda and they use facts to try to make a point. But I want you to notice what she says. This was so interesting. She said, but if there is one point on which virtually every piece of research into the nature and causes of human happiness agrees, it is this, our happiness depends on other people. She goes on. She says, study after study shows that good social relationships are the strongest, most consistent predictor there is of a happy life, even going so far as to call them a necessary condition for happiness. This is a finding that cuts across race, age, gender, income, and social class so overwhelmingly that it dwarfs any other factor. And according to research, if we want to be happy, we should really be aiming to spend less time alone. Despite claiming to crave solitude when asked in the abstract, when sampled in the moment, people across the board consistently report themselves as happier when they're around other people than when they're on their own. Surprisingly, this effect is not just true for people who consider themselves extroverts, but equally strong for those who consider themselves introverts as well. I thought this was really interesting because I'm one of those people that would classify myself as a capital I introvert. And if you pushed me and you said, what do you think you need? Most of the time I would say, I think I need more time alone. But the truth of the reality is, is what she's saying, and I think what the Bible is saying, is that while it is good to have time alone, But to live in isolation and to continue to do so is increasingly less healthy for us and leads to less happiness. She points out, now I could show you article after article here on this, but listen, here's the point I want you to see is that all of these things were written pre-COVID-19. And so they're already in our in our country has been this pre-existing condition and proclivity towards isolation. Health experts and psychologists and sociologists are all saying, this is a problem, and then the quarantine hit. And, And I believe that it just took what already existed and it just simply amplified it. I think it's fascinating. I was reading a health journal article the other day, something that comes from Health Affair, and I won't read the whole article, but I just, I actually thought the, uh, the title of the article says it all the double pandemic of social isolation and COVID-19. And basically what this article talks about is it says there's actually really two pandemics happening right now. We of course have COVID-19, which is a highly infectious and dangerous virus. But then we also have on top of that, that of social isolation and loneliness. In this article, they talk about how depression and how suicide and how anxiety and how mental illness has been only greater, only been greater, more greatly amplified throughout this season And of course, more studies are going, now now listen, what is all of this saying? I go on and on, but what is all of this saying? What is all of this proving? Well, I think this is just, I think this is just modern, secular psychologists, sociologists, and health experts simply affirming what God already said back in Genesis chapter two, that it's not good. It's just not good for man to be alone and that we are created for this. So again, Genesis tells us We are created by God and we are made in his image. God exists in community. Therefore, we are incomplete apart from community. So there's the theology. So now the question is, what are the implications of something like this? Let me just give you three implications. Here's the first one. I think implication number one is this, is that I need community to be fully human. 
Okay, you need community. We need community. We need each other to be fully human. In fact, I might even take it a step further. For those of us who follow Jesus, I think you could build a pretty strong case that we need biblical community to be everything that God has created us to be, that we need it, we need it. Now, I know, I know it's easy sometimes, I think especially in, like an individual, in the individualistic society that we live in, I think it's easy for us to say, uh, we don't need other people. We don't need meaningful relationships. We don't need to be integrated in the lives of other people to be fulfilled and to be happy. And maybe there's some of us who might even say that, that, you know, I can, I can, I can, uh, I can be on the fringe. I don't necessarily need to open my life or be engaged in the lives of other people. But, but let me just tell you, with all due respect, if you believe that that's true, with all due respect, uh, historically speaking, humans have been very, very, very bad at predicting what we need for ourselves. Here's the truth. You didn't create you, and I didn't create me either. And the truth is that we're created in the image of God, and God exists in community. Therefore, I need community. We need community to be everything that God has created us to be. You know, how fascinating is it that here you have the man, Adam, living in paradise, living in in Genesis chapter two, pre-sin world. He has a perfect relationship with God. He has a perfect relationship with nature. And yet on purpose, God created him in such a way that even a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with nature and a perfect relationship with the animals was in itself not enough. It was not good for the man to be alone. And we need each other. And by the way, because this is true, that we need community to be fully human, this is a big reason why one of the things that we've been saying throughout this season as a church is we've been saying that we are going to be stubborn about finding ways to be together. We're gonna to be stubborn about it during this season. And the reason we've been saying that is because, because of this. Now, we understand that when we say stubborn, we don't mean stupid. We're not gonna, we wanna be smart about it. Right? We wanna think about what are the, the health considerations with the pandemic and all that. We wanna be smart about it. But we said, we're gonna be stubborn about finding ways to figure this out. That's why in our value, you'll notice we actually say this, we're gonna be resolved to figure this out. We're resolved to figure out how do we love God? How do we love each other? How do we live on mission together? I understand in a season like this, what it looks like to be resolved to be together is gonna look very creative and very different. And so for some of us who are here in this room, that means that we're gonna be trying our best to social distance and wear masks and sanitize between services. That's why for those of you, some of you who are connecting on live stream right now, some of you have very good reasons why you can't be with us in person. And I just wanna tell you that, that what we're saying is we just wanna be resolved to figure it out, whether it's connecting online, whether it's connecting in person, whatever the option might be, we're saying we wanna prioritize this. I want to figure it out because we need it, because we need it. Uh, this, by the way, this, by the way, is one of the reasons why we emphasize life groups so much. Some of you guys have heard us talk about life groups. We talk about the importance of being connected to biblical community. We talk about things like disciple-making relationships, Christian friendships, like being with other Christians, opening your life to them, right? Why do we talk? Why do we insist on those things? Well, it's because we believe in this value, right? We share life together. That leads me to the second thing. So, so I need community to be fully human. Here's the second thing. Others need me to have community. Others need me to have community. You know, here, here's the truth. The truth is that others need community as well. 
And it's hard for other people to have genuine community if there's not other people who are committed to genuine community. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Whenever we talk about life groups, um, and we talk about them so often here at Grace, you guys have probably heard me talk about it and all the other pastors, and we'll say things like this. We'll say things like, if you're not in a life group, get in a life group. If you're not in a life group, you're getting less than half of what our church is all about. It's so important that you're connected in those ways. We talk about disciple-making relationships. It's important to have Christian friendships, to get together with another person who, who, who you know and they know you and you're opening your life to each other and you're able to, to pray for each other and all that kind of stuff. And we talk about that. And what's interesting is sometimes I hear people and they'll say, they'll say this. They'll say, you know, I hear you guys talk about that all the time and I know that that's probably good for some people, but man, I'm just gonna tell you, it's, this is not my thing. Right? It's just, this is not for me. And um, I'm, I'm more of a private person uh, I'm, a, I'm a busy person. I've heard people say, I've tried, I've tried life groups before, but it's, honestly, it's, 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 it's weird, which um, is actually kind of true. It, is, it's, it can be kind of weird, right? And, and I've heard people say, um, uh, the people at the, at the life group, they're, not, they're just kind of like not my people, you know what I mean? Like they're socially different or they're economically different or... Uh, or they vote different, or they look different, or or they're hip. I've heard this. They're hypocrites. I went to life group, but they're all hypocrites, and uh, and all those kind of things. And listen, I just want to say, I I, I totally understand that um, because because we're people and we're sinful, it's gonna get messy. It, it's just messy. It just is. And and the truth is that if you're waiting for if you're waiting for a community that. Uh, completely suits your desires, where everyone acts like you and thinks like you and and votes like you and does. I'm just telling you that that you're missing out, and and it's never going to happen. This never never exists, and it gets messy. It gets messy. But the truth is, when you actually start to integrate your life with other people in a meaningful way, you're going to hurt each other. You're going to offend each other. That's going to happen. Let me just tell you, if we're going to share life together as a church. The truth is we're messed up and we are gonna hurt each other. And you are going to hurt me and I'm going to hurt you. And I am going, I am going to let you down. Listen, if, 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 if you've been coming to grace and I haven't let you down yet, just give it a, just give it a minute. It's gonna happen because it's just, it's, it's messy when we, when we integrate in relationships. But listen, what we're saying here is we're saying we are resolved to figure, we're going to figure this out how to love God and how to love each other and how to live on mission because we believe that that's what it means to be created in the image of God. It's something that we need. And that was interesting. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, by the way, uh, that I, I, I think I might commend to you more highly than any other book besides the Bible on the topic of community. It's a book called Life Together. And I will tell you, this book is revolutionary. It's absolutely revolutionary. It is a little dense to read, but if you can work through it, I think it, I think it can absolutely transform uh, the way that you look at community life together. But in it, he says something I think is so good about Christian community. Here's what he says about Christian community. He says, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands. He sets up his own law, he acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dreams binds men's together. And, and, and when things don't go his way, he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, 
then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. What, what is he saying here? Here's what he's saying. He's reminding us that in the same way, in the same way that we cannot choose our earthly brothers and sisters, so it is true that we cannot choose our Christian brothers and sisters. It, it's so, and so we are going to look different and we are going to be different. And, and what he's saying is that Christian community is not a human ideal. It is a divine reality. It is something that God is building and it is something that God is creating. And uh, I think that's important. Here's the last thing I'd say. Number three, I think, we, I think it leads to this. We need community to properly know God. So I need community to be fully human. Others need me to have community. And listen, we need community so that we can know God. The bottom line is we cannot grow into the image of the one that we were created in if we are not in community because he exists in community. And so if you're trying to know and follow God alone, apart from deep, meaningful relationships with other people, you're not gonna get very far. I mean, you're gonna get somewhere, but you're not gonna get very far. It only comes when we're committed relationships with each other. Did you guys know that there are over 60, over 60 one another commandments that are in the Bible that are impossible to be obeyed apart from meaningful connection with other Christians? Things like pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another. What does it tell you about the importance of community, that there are 60 commandments that are not possible to be obeyed apart from it. I think it tells us that it's something that we are created for. And so I wanna encourage you in light of this conversation, just maybe ask yourself this. What are the next steps that you need to take to help move towards your created design of being made in the image of God for community? And maybe for some of you, you're listening to this conversation or you're watching this conversation right now, and for you, you just honestly, you have just been disconnected. Maybe you've never been connected to a church or maybe you at one time were and then maybe somehow through all of this, you've been disconnected. It's kind of fallen off as a priority. Hey, maybe here's your first step. Maybe your first step is to say, you know what, I need this. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to get back to committing to being regular within it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's your step. Maybe for you, you know, right now, you, you, you're not able to meet together in person. Maybe you have a good reason for that. But maybe there's some people that you are gathering with together. And maybe you can get together with that group. And maybe you can, you can study the Bible or you can watch a message. You can pray with each other. I'm just saying, what would it look like to be resolved to figure that out? I so said, maybe for some of you right now, maybe the next step you need to take is it's time to check out a life group. It just is. You know, we talk about them all the time. And I would encourage you, if you're not connected to a life group and you're ready to take that step, if you go to the website, uh, you'll find life groups there. And if you click the find a group tab, it will lead you through the process of how to get connected and how, how to find a group. But that might be a next step that you need to take. And my, my question to you is, what would it look like to prioritize that, prioritize Christian community uh, kind of in this next season? Because the bottom line is this, we share life together. We cannot live without honest relationships. We are resolved to figure out how to love God, how to love each other, and how to live on mission together. Mess the band to make their way up here. And um, as we, before we sing songs and we finish out, you know, I remember um, whenever the, uh, whenever the stay-at-home order uh, happened, when that, when the quarantine first began, when that back in, uh, how long ago was that? 45 years ago or whatever. Um, I remember when that, when that all happened, uh, you know, like many of you uh, here at the church, we were trying to figure out 
What's that look like? What do services look like? How do we do this? I know all of us were trying to figure that out. But I remember for a period of time there, we, we couldn't be with each other. We just couldn't. And so our life groups were trying to do things on Zoom, and some of them decided not to meet, and our church was not meeting in person, and we were trying to do online options. There's just a period of time, several-week period of time, where we couldn't be together. And I remember um, when finally the stay-home order was lifted, and we decided that we were going to start doing in-person services, and we started to do that. And our life groups started to reconvene, some doing Zoom, some being live, some hybrid, I actually remember that first week that we were, we were able to be connected to each other again in some way. And I remember I sat back in the, in the, back, uh, the back of service here, and there was other, other people who were here. And we started to, the musicians came up, and they started to play, and we started to sing songs to God together. I'll tell you guys, I was a little shocked, because if you, if you know me, I'm not, I'm not like the most emotional person on planet Earth. But I will tell you, as I sat in the back and the songs began, I found myself unexpectedly, I just started to cry. I started to cry. And as I heard us singing together and I saw God's people together, it, all of a sudden it occurred to me, just like when I was in Chicago and I drank orange juice for the first time in two months, it occurred to me, I need this. I need this. And the truth is, the truth is, sometimes we don't realize how important something is until it's missing, until it's lacking. And it's only when it's reintegrated into our life do we realize, man, we were created to be together. We were created to share life. And so because of that, we are going to be resolved to figure out what that looks like, how to love God, how to love each other, and how to be on mission together. So I know this is a complicated time to figure it out. I know that there's all kinds of things we have to navigate through. There's all kinds of complications that we have to try to figure out. But I'm just saying, we want to be resolved to figure this out. We want to be resolved to love God, to be committed to each other, and to be committed to this mission in a time when the world needs the message of Jesus so desperately. And so we share life together. Let's pray together. Well, Father, I do just want to say thank you so much that, uh, that we're made in your image, and thank you that uh, we bear your image. And God, you exist in community. And so what that tells us about us is it instructs us that we cannot be fully human. We cannot be the people that you've created us to be apart from meaningful relationships with each other. And so God, as we try to navigate through a very complicated season that we're in right now as a, as a culture, I ask you that you give us great wisdom and great resolve to determine and figure out what it looks like to love you and love each other and to live on mission. We need your wisdom. And so, Father, we ask, for, ask, ask it for, from you now. And Lord, as we have a chance to worship and sing, I pray that you would unite our hearts as we sing to you. And Lord, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.